So often in John's gospel, the people around Jesus fail to understand what he's saying and doing. Whenever Jesus tries to teach the disciples or the crowds, they get the wrong end of the stick. And we see the same thing happening in today's passage. Jesus is offering them something of infinite value. He's offering them eternal life. But the crowds are so focused on their immediate needs that they completely miss the point. Jesus is offering one thing, and the crowds are seeking another. And because of this, they risk losing out altogether. And this is a crucial message for us today. What is Jesus offering, and what are we seeking? And do those two things line up? So what were the crowd seeking? Well, initially they followed Jesus because he healed the sick. Those who were sick wanted to be well, and those who were well wanted to watch the spectacle of Jesus performing these healing miracles. But then Jesus feeds this massive crowd with just five small barley loaves and two small fish. And the people realize that Jesus has something more to offer them. Actually, he's got way more to offer them. But all they can think of is their hungry bellies. They're just uh, looking at the free food. Uh, But this is first century Palestine. And we need to understand that in many ways, food was a much more valuable commodity, or bread, uh, a much more valuable commodity than it is in 21st century Australia. And to demonstrate this, I want to ask three questions. Firstly, where does our food come from? If I had to ask that to any five-year-old in Springfield, they'd probably say uh, Coles or Woolworths. And no doubt they've been wheeled around in a supermarket trolley up and down aisles that are laden with thousands and thousands of products that just seem to appear there. By contrast, a first-century Jew would more than likely be able to walk you to where the food was grown and produced, to where the food came from. Next question. What happens to our food in times of drought or flood? Well, to be honest, it doesn't affect us too much. We can always bring in food from elsewhere. The price of certain products might go up a little bit, but that's about it. In the first century, uh, a drought or a famine, a natural disaster, meant going without. Worst case scenario, it meant starving to death, as is still the case in many parts of the world today. Final question. Why do we work? I mean, we could say, well, we work so that we can eat and put a roof over our heads. But in the affluent West, that's not really our main motivation, is it? We work so that we can buy stuff, holidays, cars, uh, clothes, and so forth. Do you know that in the first century, people spent up to 85% of their income on food? You worked so you could eat, literally. So from the crowd's perspective, following Jesus has the potential to be quite lucrative. And they can't see beyond that. Jesus has fed them once, and they follow him to the other side of the lake in the hope that he'll do so again. Of course, Jesus sees straight away that they're in it for the money, so to speak. Uh, I should have checked this, really. But do, do you call money bread here in Australia? Do you ever use that? Because in the UK, we have a slang, the slang word for money is bread. And it kind of makes the, uh, the point really that they're one and the same in this passage. The crowd wants something physical and temporal, uh, something that they can get their hands on. And even when Jesus explicitly offers them eternal life, 
they remain fixated on this short-term goal. They say, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. He gave them, uh, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's quite a hint, isn't it? They're saying God fed the uh, Israelites in the desert. So are you going to do that? Are you going to feed us? If you do, we'll believe in you. But Jesus has already fed them in the physical sense. And he longs to feed them in the spiritual sense, but they're not interested. So that's what the crowds were seeking, bread, literal bread. They'd eat it, and within a few hours, they would be hungry again. More importantly, though, what was Jesus offering? Do you know that it's no coincidence uh, that Jesus performed this feeding miracle shortly before the Passover? We see that in verse 4. None of Jesus' miracles are random. They are, as uh, John points out, signs that, uh, that point to a much deeper reality. So as you know, the Passover is the time when the Jews celebrate uh, God freeing them from slavery and captivity in Egypt. Uh, we read in the book of Exodus how uh, Moses led the whole nation uh, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the Sinai Desert. In, uh, Israel then spent 40 years wandering around in the desert before they finally entered the Promised Land. And uh, during that time, that, those years of wandering, God fed his people with manna from heaven, bread supplied by God each day. So you see, Jesus, uh, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he is deliberately identifying himself with Israel's God. Feeding uh, his people in a solitary place is the kind of thing that Israel's God does. Uh, this is a miracle that identifies Jesus as God. And the crowds, in part, see the connection. That's why they say, what are you going to do? God gave our ancestors manna. He gave them bread, hint, hint. They see the sign, but they don't see what it's pointing to. It's a bit like when you try and point something out to a dog. Have you ever tried to do that? The dog doesn't look where you're pointing. It just sniffs around your hand. And the people are a bit like that. They see the sign. They see that Jesus has multiplied all this bread, but they don't see what it's pointing to. And so often what happens in the Old Testament in a physical way happens in the New Testament in a spiritual way. Jesus is saying the bread your ancestors ate in the wilderness sustained them for 40 years. The bread I gave you yesterday satisfied you for a few hours. Don't work for that sort of bread. It spoils. It goes off. It doesn't last. Instead, work for the bread that endures to eternal life. And the crowd say, okay, what do we have to do? What's this work that you're talking about that we, we, we must do to get this bread? Uh, but, you know, they're still thinking in material terms. They're probably hoping that Jesus is going to give them a lifetime supply of Wonder White. In fact, we see it later on uh, in, the, in the chapter when they say, always give us this bread. They're still thinking literal bread. And Jesus replies, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. 
Now, there's a sense in which the crowds do believe in Jesus. They believe that he can perform a miracle. They believe that uh, he can multiply bread. They know he can. They've seen him do it. They've eaten the bread. But they don't believe in Jesus in the sense of putting their faith in him. It's a bit like how it was on um, Palm Sunday when the, the crowds have a completely different agenda to Jesus's agenda. Now, we could easily think, what a greedy, materialistic, short-sighted, foolish bunch of people. But those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And we have a tendency to do the same thing. Uh, We get obsessed with material things, and we neglect our relationship with Jesus. Or, Or else we're quite happy to follow Jesus, so long as things are going our way and we're getting what we want, but when that's not the case, uh, we push Jesus to one side. We've already noted the parallels between this passage and the Exodus, where God frees and liberates his people from slavery in Egypt. Well, the spiritual reality that's being expressed here is that Jesus liberates, he frees each one of us from slavery to sin. This, of course, includes all sin, but materialism comes to the fore in this passage. The people want bread. They want something they can get their hands on. They want something materialism, material. Uh, and materialism, materialism is a huge obstacle that stands between us and Jesus. At heart, materialism is believing that the physical world is all there is. If I can't see it, and I can't touch it, then it doesn't exist. And of course, if we follow that to its natural conclusion, we arrive at atheism. Do you know, only about 10% of Australians regard themselves as convinced atheists. And yet, the majority of us live our lives as if the material world is all there is. Christians fall into this trap as well. But materialism cannot satisfy our hunger for something more. Uh, All of us have a spiritual hunger, but not all of us recognize that feeling for what it is. And so we look to satisfy that hunger with all kinds of things, all kinds of stuff. It simply doesn't work. I read an article in The Guardian that was titled, Materialism, a system that eats us from the inside out. It wasn't written by a Christian, but it's a really interesting perspective. And the author wrote, Buying more stuff is associated with depression, anxiety, and broken relationships. It is socially destructive and self-destructive. Jesus offers to feed us. Materialism offers to eat us alive. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us today our daily bread. You know, if we don't eat, things go downhill pretty fast. I don't know whether you have these adverts here in Australia, but in in the UK, we had a series of adverts for the chocolate bar Snickers. And in one of them, the actress Joan Collins was in a locker room with a load of uh, football players, soccer players. And she's getting really narky with them, and she's given them a really hard time. And uh, one of them hands her a Snickers and says, here, eat this. She says, why? He said, because you turn into a right diva when you're hungry. And she takes a bite, and then she turns back into this burly football player who's actually quite placid and calm all of a sudden. 
And the strap line is, Snickers, you're not you when you're hungry. Did you have, have anyone seen that advert? You had that here. Oh, good. I wasn't sure. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. But it's the same kind of thing that are, for people who are spiritually hungry and not being fed. Or for Christians who are not receiving their daily bread. I haven't managed to come up with a, with a snappy punchline like Snickers, but the message is this. Uh, we are not who we're created to be when we are not feeding on Christ. We are not who we've been created to be when we are not feeding on Christ. And so it is profoundly true. You're not you when you're hungry. Or at least you're not who you're created to be when you're spiritually hungry. But how often do we put material things ahead of our relationship with God? Imagine I said to Tissa, Tissa, I'm not going to eat dinner this morning, uh, this evening, uh, because if I don't eat dinner, then, I, then I'll have time to wash a car. Tissa said, what are you talking about? Of course you've got to come and eat dinner. Or what have I said? Tissa, I've worked out that I spend five hours a week eating meals. So I'm not going to bother anymore. I'm just not going to eat anything. I'm not going to eat any meals. And then I'll have time to mow the grass, do the shopping, and take the kids to the park. If I said that to Tissa, she would think that I'd gone raving mad. Yet we don't think anything of letting those kinds of things encroach on our time with the Lord. The time we spend uh, reading the Bible, the time we spend in prayer, coming together uh, each week to worship and share fellowship together. In a sense, I'm talking to the, un- uh, the, to the converted because you are here. But our feeding on the bread that endures to eternal life. Do you think that sometimes we get our priorities wrong? I know I do. Of course, if we go out without food for long enough, we die. If we don't receive Jesus, the bread of life, we die. Now, that's not me pushing the analogy too far. Jesus said it himself. He makes a contrast between food that spoils and food that endures to eternal life. Putting our trust in food that spoils is materialism, and it leads to death. Putting our trust in the bread of life is Christianity, and it leads to eternal life. Now, today is a baptism service. Louisa and Naya have been baptized into the church. It's a wonderful occasion. It's exciting, and we celebrate. And I've spent time with uh, Liam and Lena and Chris and Michelle, and I know that they want Louisa and Naya to experience the fullness of life that Jesus offers, the kind of life that only Jesus can offer. And this is very important. Because we need to recognize that we as parents are responsible for feeding our children. My children are seven and nine, and they do not go to the supermarket by themselves. They neither uh, buy their own food for the week, nor do they cook it. Uh, If it was down to them, they'd probably live on a diet of Chupa Chups and Cocoa Pops, but they don't. Uh, They eat what we give them to eat, by and large. If we have chicken and rice for dinner, the children have chicken and rice to dinner. Uh, Now, of course, they'll reach an age where they'll be able to make these kind of choices for themselves. And they may well decide to live on a diet of Chupa Chups and Cocoa Pops. But having grown up on a wholesome diet, I think it's unlikely that they will then revert to eating pure rubbish as adults. Likewise, if we feed on Christ, the bread of life, our children will feed 
on Christ. If we take our faith seriously, our children will most likely take their faith seriously. It doesn't always work out like that because, as I said, when they grow up, they can make uh, all kinds of, well, all choices for themselves. But the very least we can do is set them off on the right path. And that is what Liam and Lena and Chris and Michelle are doing for their daughters today. They are promising to raise them as Christians and feed them on the bread of life that is Jesus Christ. So important. Now, I'm sure uh, you've all seen TV footage or images of starving children. Uh, You may have even been to a part of the world uh, where you've seen it for yourself. It is horribly upsetting. I can't begin to imagine the heartache of watching uh, your own child starve. We would never, we would never want to see our children go hungry, not even for a single day. And yet, if we're not careful, we can end up starving our children spiritually. We need to make sure that our children are feeding on the bread of life. We need to be very intentional about this. And this isn't about what we're not doing. It's more of an encouragement to persevere with and build on what we are doing. Um, I recently read an article about discipling our children, and it said this. It said, at the most minimal level, it means that we go to church on Sundays and make a point of doing so. That sounds like such a small thing, and of course it is, but it's actually the single most important thing that parents can do. The single biggest predictor of adult religiosity, and we know we're not interested in religion per se, we want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but we get the idea. The single biggest predictor of adult religiosity is family religious practice during one's upbringing. And there's tons of British and American data to back it up. Just doing that, of course, is no guarantee that we'll successfully pass on the faith to our children. But not doing it is, statistically speaking, a near guarantee that we won't. But it's not just about coming to church. What's life like at home? Are we praying together regularly as a family? Is prayer an important part of our routine? Do we pray with our children in the car on the way to school? Uh, Do we pray before meals, perhaps have a Bible story at the dinner table? Uh, Do we pray before bed? It's so important to get into the habit of praying with and for our children. We want to equip them to feed on the bread of life for themselves. And even as I was writing this, I thought, oh yeah, it's been a little while since we've had a Bible story at the dinner table. I must keep going with that. And we all need that encouragement, don't we? To persevere with the basic uh, Christian disciplines and to persevere with them uh, as far as our children are concerned as well. On Monday, Thursday, uh, we were in small groups and we prayed in groups. And uh, somebody told me that this person wasn't in my group, but uh, a little boy of six or seven, put his hand on somebody's shoulder and began to pray. How encouraging is that? And you just know, don't you, that 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 boy comes from a family where they pray. We want to see that more and more. But it's not all down to the parents. They have primary, uh, primary responsibility, but earlier on, we all made promises to support and uphold these families as they raise their children in the church. We all have a role to play in discipling the children of this church. And the more positive Christian role models, the better. We want our children to grow up seeing the body of Christ, the church, at its very best. 
There are so many things in life that demand our attention. So many distractions. It's so easy to become preoccupied with material things. And of course, we do need to mow the lawn and wash the car and do the shopping and take the kids to the park. We need to do all those things. But are we so focused on them that we're missing what God wants to do in our lives? Jesus provided the bread so that people would see that he is the bread. He is the bread of life. If we seek this bread, we will never be seeking any other kind of spiritual nourishment. And today, having baptized Louisa and Naya, uh, we remember that we not only seek this bread for ourselves, we also seek it for our children. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, we can have life, real life, fullness of life, the life for which we've been created. And we pray, Lord, that you will help all of us to prioritize our lives in the right way so that we're putting you first, so that we're recognizing that feeding on the bread of life is even more important than feeding ourselves with physical food. We pray, Lord, that more and more we will put you at the center. And we pray that the children in the church will grow up seeing the body of Christ at its very best. And we pray that we will do all that we can to ensure that that happens. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.